are live. Welcome to another episode of Mindset Live. Um, episode 19, I think it is. Um, so, yeah, sorry if I'm very high up. Let me bring myself down a bit. There we go. Cool. Um, apologies for last week. Um, we were hoping to bring you um, Lisa Shabbos live from somewhere very remote in the world. Um, as fate would have it, she was she'd just come down from a mountain or stuck in a mountain. It wasn't going to be practical. Um, but that's the danger of basically um, arranging to meet up with real life um, Lara Crofts. Um, they get stuck in danger and missions and stuff. But anyway, Lisa is going to be back with us um, in a few weeks time. I'll send details out for that. So, you know, definitely worth um, catching up with us uh, when we've got her um, on the other end of the microphone as well. Um, but in the meantime, now replacing and having um, his very own episode 19, we've got uh, Mr. Chris. Um, Kitson, um, osteopath, biomechanics coach. Um, he's got a fantastic um, unit up north called the Movement Hub. Um, and we're particularly going to talk about um, screening for runners, i.e. to what extent can we actually ask a runner in front of us to perform certain movements and then identify what we could refer to as flaws um, and then give them uh, specific correctional exercises so that they don't get injured. Um, how much can we do this? How successful is it? Are there any particular movement screens which are more successful than others? And so on. So um, Chris is a great person to talk to regarding this. Um, so, so, yeah, without further ado, let's bring um, young Christopher up. There we go. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. You? I'm okay. Yes. Um, I should warn you that actually now you're talking perfectly, but we had a few problems with setting you up vocally. But so far, you haven't skipped a word. Okay. So um, if um, yeah, if I do get you to repeat something, it's just because I can't hear it at my end. But so far, touch wood, it's all good. You're looking very useful and and well. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I self-aging um, the sideline as well. So. Oh, do you? All <laughs> oh, right. Calling as well. I've got to do something about my lighting. I don't do myself any favours. But anyway, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's quite all right. So, um, yeah, so before we get into the actual subject, let's have a little listen to your history and how it got to the stage that, um, yeah, we're having you on today to talk about screening for runners. So where did it all start off with, Chris? Um, I was quite a while ago. I suppose it was kind of about... Yeah, ten ten plus years ago, um, I come from a bit of a different background. Uh, so I, I was kind of playing drums uh, for for most of my living at that point. Um, so kind of it was a uh, kind of getting into the fitness industry, you know, a bit of training, uh, kind of getting into uh, just general training in the gym. Um, just kind of built it up really. Uh, I ended up moving to London for a bit. Uh, when I did my qualifications for. Uh, fitness instructor, personal trainer, um, and kind of working in management within a gym. Um, so, let me just, hold on uh, a second. Interrupt. You said drums. We, what are we talking? Oil containers or? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of. Um, I mean, acoustic kits. Um, so, I, I generally play in like a sort of uh, pop punky, punk rock sort of style bands. Oh, you played. Uh, yeah, and then I was uh, I did a bit of like session work and stuff as well. 
so they get me in and just pay me to come and do studio time for certain. Yeah. This is serious stuff then. <laughs> amazing. How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm 32 now. See, that's the thing. You probably get sick of it. I bet you are the. I bet you get sick of people. Do you, do you get asked for kind of ID in supermarkets and stuff? Oh, when yeah, you're... yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't mind it. No, it's a blessing. It's great. Yeah. You look so youthful. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm just trying to figure out how old you we, we were then when you must have done sessional drumming and stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I interrupted, but I love drumming myself, so I was just curious to hear. Um, so, yes, you got into sports therapy, did you? Uh, yeah, so, like, well, personal training, sports therapy side of things. Uh, so that was a little bit later on. So I just worked with a lot of uh, clients, you know, personal training-wise, came across, obviously, injuries and just kind of wanted to develop, develop in that side a little bit, really. Um, so, yeah, did some uh, kind of spot, got into the sports therapy side of things, uh, kind of a bit of, you know, biomechanics uh, alongside of that too. Um, and then went, uh, more recently did uh, a, like a master's in osteopathy um, here in Leeds. Uh, so I just did like the, the full-time course. Uh, so it was like sort of four years through that. Uh, whilst just maintaining my, my business sort of in the background, really. Uh, so what, um, what attracted you to osteopathy in particular? Um, I think it was, at, at the point when I started, definitely, it was the case of, like, it seemed to consider a little bit more of the whole person. Um, again, now looking at that, I'd probably give you a different answer, um, potentially, uh, just depending on uh, which clinician you see as well. I think the... The move across to more of like a biopsychosocial model of care um, more recently seems to, it shouldn't necessarily matter what sort of practitioner you're going to see, you know, whether it be a physio, chiro, osteo, um, it's in essence, as long as they're working with the person in front of them, then then that's all that matters to me. Okay, so that's interesting. So what, um, just to stick on that point for sex, it's quite interesting. You said like, um, so what's, what changed about, your preconcepts of osteopathy and what you discovered and what's since you um, asked in it. it was not necessarily inside of the osteopathy side i think uh, to some extent i think the the background behind it so it's definitely changing a lot now uh, with all the research uh, kind of coming through you know and the ways of thinking are changing a lot um, and it kind of gets put a lot of the time into this kind of what i guess like old school style of thinking of being like, okay, so we've got uh, restrictions, L4-5, we need to do this, we need to kind of, you know, click your basket into place, uh, we need to kind of uh, facilitate these inhibited muscles and do this and do that, change, you know, forward head posture and kind of that more like realism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think initially I kind of went into it with that in mind um, and then I've come out the back of it probably changing uh, my practice really um, and certainly my, my views around other practitioners as well uh, definitely with myself not knowing enough about the other uh, styles of treatment and what can uh, what they can do for people really so, yeah. that's fascinating that's great because I mean I do get into trouble myself sometimes I've had some fairly um, angry tweets and messages from particularly chiropractors but also osteopaths when I suggest that well, just basically why I bring up where it all came from, the fact it was kind of an invention by a guy at the time in both cases who was very ahead of their time. Um, but now kind of I think it was around the 1830s or something, osteopathy and chiropractic both kind of 
came out the same sort of time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like uh, nearly 200 years later, obviously, we've discovered a bit more and there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's just no. that, you know, particularly chiropractics and osteopaths have had to evolve a little bit um, from this idea that there's like a, a spirit force in your body which kind of heals itself every time you click a bone. We know that's not probably quite true now. Um, but so, yeah, so I apologize to any chiropractics and osteopaths I've disappointed. But here we go. Here's a real live osteopath <laughs> in the studio who has managed to move on. Hey, great. And he's here. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so then um, the Movement Hub. Tell us about the Movement Hub. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's a relatively new thing actually. So um, myself and my business partner uh, came together kind of last year. Um, so we come from kind of similar backgrounds, I guess. Um, so personal training mainly, um, and a little bit of biomechanics going in there too. Um, so we ended up. Uh, I'd obviously gone more into the uh, therapy side of things which she doesn't do currently um, but yeah we come together to essentially make the movement hub and um, so it's a place where we can uh, help people with their movement uh, we can help develop it in different ways uh, what it might mean to them um, we essentially we've we just October we kind of set up a new studio um, just on the outskirts of Leeds um, so we we kind of put everything together, really, of what we've both had uh, a bit of a vision, I guess, moving forwards. Um, so, yeah, it's been great. Kind of offer uh, personal training, group training, uh, classes, the therapy side of things, so rehab side as well. Uh, and we're very into uh, the kind of exercise rehabilitation side, which is good. It's, no, it's great. I think it's a sign of the kind of times to come where, what did you say the background of? It's Kim, isn't it? What's her background? Yeah, so she's a personal trainer and biomechanics coach. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely, I think, the future of just different careers and professions getting together to form a hub. Because we know that depending on the individual in front of us, there might need to be some input from all sorts of people with different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so you've done something probably ahead of its time, probably, because it's, it's going to be the future rather than one room, which is just off, offering osteopathy or one room offering physiotherapy. It's going to be a health hub, like a little polyclinic. Um, actually, you didn't do it first because we did it first here at Studio 50. No, <laughs> well, we did it. <laughs> no. Yeah, we did. Um, but anyway, no, but it is definitely the future, mixing the different professions together. Brilliant. And that's um, that's up north, isn't it? It's, uh, what did you say? Near Leeds? Yeah, it's uh, Tingley, just on the outskirts of Leeds. Yeah. And do you find, like we were talking to Mike James last week, the endurance physio, um, do you find that having an accent helps you get further in your work? Absolutely. It does, isn't it? Being a northerner, you know, it's just as soon as you put a Welsh or northern, it's like all the adverts on TV, you know, it just feels more approachable. You just feel kind of like, I trust you more than I trust someone direct (laughs) Oxford or Cambridge or... But it's true, no, it does help. I think it's where you are. You've either got to have the accent or you've got to have the beard, though, right? Oh, don't talk about beards. Actually, don't talk about Mike James. Have you seen he shaved it off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, actually, yeah. I've got to have a conversation about the, the pain I'm getting in the neck from my wife now. After a, a few days going, look, see, he's got one. Look how good we look. And then he shaves his off. All because he's trying to feel young again and get back to how he was 12 years ago. Let me tell you, mate, it takes training, not lack of faith. <laughs> I was say, it's probably like that we're just moving past that little hipster phase now, you know, where you can get away with the big beards. So, yeah, well, it's obviously ahead of the times. So. Well, I don't know. I think he's just chasing youth. 
and I wife told him, "Oh, you're much lovelier now. I've been smooth, but uh, yeah." So um, Mike won't be coming back on the uh, on the podcast again, but we'll have you back. Um, yeah. Sorry, Mike, you've left me. Anyway, uh, so yeah, you've got kids as well, haven't you? I have, yeah. Ages. Uh, so I've got two. Got um, Amber, who's uh, just turned. Well, she's fourteen months, nearly fifteen months, uh, and then Josh, who's just turned five. Brilliant. Well, I say brilliant, but you, you and I both know that's not true, is it? <laughs> not. I mean, is he? <laughs> yeah, it's not brilliant at all. It's some of the most painful, exhausting moments <laughs> in one's life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, let's not dwell. I had a, I've had a few days of just projectile vomit, not me, but my eldest projectile vomiting in the back of the car. That's fun. Oh, lovely. Yeah. It never stops giving all over oh, his little brother. Yeah. It's I mean, great. They're all just challenges, aren't they? Like just things to send at you and then. Yeah, how you deal with them. And how's that? Because uh, you're you're a keen sports person as well, aren't you? How's having kids affected your ability to train yourself? What are you doing at the moment, sport wise? Uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's definitely affected it. I'll <laughs> put it that way. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I can, I just try and keep a dead simple schedule. Um, you know, I try. So I come I compete. I say that loosely in triathlon. Um, so. I just stick to standard distance, you know, just to keep my distances down a bit, a bit easier to train for, kind of fit in. Um, I'll try and get in, uh, currently doing a bit more focus on running, to be fair, but at the minute I'll kind of I'll be running probably uh, two or three times a week, uh, try and get free in where I can, and then um, getting a couple of strength training sessions in with that too. Um, yeah. so simple. And then just trying to intro a bit of biking back in as well. Um, mainly uh, the bike just gets wrecked in where, where I store it as well at home um, so every time I need to go out I need to first get it fixed before I can then get out on the bike so uh, <laughs> it doesn't help Yeah, storage just goes out the window when you've got kids as well doesn't it? Especially yeah. if you've got a wife who likes kind of hiding things up rather than tidying things up Oh yeah, yeah. Let's hide that away somewhere Let's hide it away <laughs> Yeah, it is tricky and of course recovery as well I think I find myself talking to a lot of kind of new mothers and fathers that not just the stress which you're living under you're probably probably not sleeping as well you're not recharging those batteries at night time so that can obviously lead to hard yeah. the problems oh, yeah it's, it's, i think it's probably the biggest thing like amber especially um so josh was a relatively good sleeper and amber just uh, she doesn't, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> like four or five times a night stuff. It's just, yeah, it, it's one of them. I mean, it is what it is, but it's, uh, it certainly doesn't necessarily help with the performance side. <laughs> Did, would you, would you, now they're, I mean, would you say after all of this that you still love them or? I, you know, yeah. <laughs> what is love? You oh start my goodness, where is this going? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, of course we do. We wouldn't change for the world. Uh, anyway, so kids, we'll move on from kids. You know, but then, then we have clients. I always, I'm sure you have clients as well who are in our same situation. They maybe got a new baby or, but then they're off doing like Tokyo Marathon was just the other day, yesterday. And I know a couple of dads have got young kids and they just completed that. And I don't, I've never come out and said to them in the eyes, but I'm pretty sure it's because they just neglect their kids. They don't look after them. And they've probably never changed an nappy in their life. Or they've just got a subservient kind of wife who just does everything for them. But I find that difficult to yeah. mention. There is that. There is that. I suppose. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? I, do, I get the same. You know, people that go out and do 
like multiple things like that. And it's just like I've, I've absolutely no chance of doing that. No. Um, so I mean, yeah, what, whatever, whatever means, then brilliant. But uh, personally, not going to happen. Um, but obviously- no. I think it's kind of one or the other. You're either a successful athlete or you're a loving father. It's um, it's very difficult to mix the two. In which case, you just use your children to kind of market your your stuff and just show them jumping and flipping and stuff. You managed to do that very well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, kids. Well, I mustn't talk about kids all the time because probably some people out there haven't got them yet. So don't want to put you off. So, right, today, what are we talking about? Um, screening for mm. well, we'll stick to athletes for the moment. Obviously, screening happens for all sorts of um, different um, athletes, football players. I think most professional teams have got their club screener. Um, but yeah, we're um, what's what's your take on screening in a nutshell? We'll go into a little bit more detail in a minute. But what's your what's your take on it? Um, I think I mean first of all, the I guess the the term uh, screening it screen screening uh, <laughs> would be a little bit meh. For it, I mean, it's more like getting an assessment of someone, isn't it, essentially? Uh, the screening being more so looking for um, potential of like a, a disease state, essentially. Um, but assessment being, OK, right, we're going to assess something um, and see what comes out the back of it and how we can move forward. Um, overall, I use maybe like little bits and bats. Um, I, I don't have enough, like, sort of... Uh, assessment protocol and um, it is more so kind of it's the direction of it just depends on who's in front of me um, it totally depends person to person um, the classic answer right and um, everything just depends on on what that person's doing in front of you um, what they've got going on uh, how potentially they might move or reasons they might move differently even uh, you know things like kind of previous injury um, if they've not slept very well, for instance, you know, that's all going to change how they perform in certain assessments anyway. Um, there's just so many variables to consider with any kind of assessment process, really. So, in a nutshell. So, what, um, what are some of the... I mean, I like the way... So, what do you, do you not like using the word screening then? Did I sense that? Um, it definitely, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've used in the past. Um, it's just something that I'm trying to just move away from a little Would bit. Would you put like it on your website? Sorry? Would you put it on your website that we do screening? Um, would I? Um, depends. Or have you? Let's bring up your website now. You know, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's something where I think, so sometimes things will get put out for marketing purposes. Um mm. Yeah, um, and I think we see a lot of that kind of things that you'll see on the the outset of it and be like, okay, I totally don't agree with what you said there. But then it's kind of thinking behind it and being like, okay, why have they said that? Are they saying that just to draw the attention to them? Uh, and then they can and educate past it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we're just trying to kind of get down on the terms a little bit and kind of just be a little bit more accurate with things that's all. Um, I think certainly when we use screening as well as a term, it's kind of what that might mean to someone. So if they associate that with, um, you know, screening for disease, say, then they're essentially going into it thinking, okay, I'm a bit worried about the outcomes of this, essentially, because I might come out of it, you know, thinking X, Y, Z, and therefore I'm running, you know, I should, 
I should be worrying about this, worrying about that. Whereas actually, not the purpose at all. It's a case of trying to help someone move forward, that being the focus, rather than it just being kind of like, right, okay, let's find out what's wrong with you and then try and make it better. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that. It's, there's always this, as therapists, as healthcare professionals in, in the private sector, especially, there's always that kind of line of, you know what's going to work best on marketing, i.e. you're going to die, I can save you, book now, you know, but you're not going to write it quite as clearly as that. You're going to twist it up with, oh, this is what could be wrong with you. If it is, you're going to be injured and I'll save you. And it's kind of, you don't, you don't want to, but if you said the total truth, we're coming in, we'll take a look and we'll look at all the possible factors. Um, I'll give you a plan. It might work. If it doesn't work, we'll go to plan B. You're not going to get anyone called. So it's kind of always that problem. Whereas really what I've just said is probably most accurately what we do. You know, we come in, I'm not going to prejudge at all. Um, I'll listen to your symptoms. I'll take a massive note of that. If your history, we'll look at why you move in certain ways. We'll tie that in, put all the pieces of the jigsaw together. We'll put you on the treadmill. Um, but getting that across in a, in a, on a website in a nice font is often so difficult, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and often the most lucrative form I don't mean to use lucrative in a negative way, but the one that guarantees the most phone calls is the one which kind of does install a little bit of fear or scientific kind of credibility. You know, we guarantee this. And did you know what the weakest muscle in your body is? It's this with a picture and a quote. And it's tricky, isn't it? Finding that line. I mean, I like your website. I think your website is, is, is really good. It's progressive. It's um, approachable. It's, um, I love the photo of Kim and you doing your bicep pose. I think that just goes, these guys and yeah, exactly. <laughs> these guys are like normal people like you and me, you know, it's totally the opposite of the guy in the white coat and the stethoscope around their neck. Who's like, come on in and I will give you an x-ray and show you where your disc is bulging. It's, it's really good. It's good stuff. So well done on the website. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> developed as well. <laughs> yeah, really good. And um, that is, um, is it movement hub dot? Dot uk. uk yeah so yeah. check that out we'll put it in the notes so yeah um so we all do a bit of movement analysis which i think is a fair way to call it rather than screening um screening again is a marketable word isn't it you put in screening and you're going to get people who think that you are like well basically checking their blood almost and finding something that's there and then it's that accurate and obviously a movement analysis isn't that accurate what are some of the things you do do what do you do to a runner obviously it's dependent on their symptom but what's yeah. some standard yeah. tests and what situations do you use them um so yeah i mean that's in essence so like depends first are they symptomatic or not um so we we work with a, a mixture actually so some some won't be some come in more so for performance purposes um and some are more for uh obviously for the more clinical side so that they're okay um it depends on kind of thinking about where I'm going to necessarily load something up. Um, so it might be, you know, there's some bog standards we might do, you know, like a, a kind of deep squat position, for instance. Uh, we might Which one do again? Uh, so like, like a bit of a deep squat. Uh, <sighs> deep squat, yeah. I read your lips and twice it faded. Yeah, deep squat. <laughs> Deep squat um, potentially might make that overhead as well. So it might put the arms over the head at the same time. Um, again, it won't necessarily tell us kind of X, Y, Z, but it might give us a bit of an insight into how they move and kind of what they can and can't kind of, 
what forces they can control and what maybe not as well. It might not always kind of cross over into the running though, uh, so we need to consider that too. Um, I think we, we kind of use then some single leg testing as well. So it might be that we do like a bit of lunge testing or, you know, step ups, uh, step downs as well, if we're wanting to load them kind of more eccentrically. Um, we might look at some, uh, depending, say if we've got some uh, more kind of masters athletes, like, we might look at things like uh, kind of calf raises, um, both kind of uh, straight and bent knee. So we're focusing on kind of both kind of layers of the uh, calf muscles, um, definitely things like that. And then looking into like things like plyometrics, uh, one, if it's right for them, obviously that time, um, but can, can they do them? Uh, are they able to just, you know, bounce on their toes? Can they run on the spot effectively? What are they like at like single leg hopping? Um, even, you know, bits of change in direction and that sort of side as well, even though it's, mostly a sort of uh, kind of sagittal or front to back motion it's not obviously all that as well we've got a lot of different things to consider um even you know general running just running on the roads say you know going off pavements having to move out of the way of cars pedestrians like it's all got to be considered um we can't just say okay you will get injured when you're running in a straight um so we try to think about their environment uh, where they're going to be training and how that might kind of affect well really so yeah you made an important distinction then which you haven't mentioned yet i mean the idea of screening is it's not um it's never by the very definition it's not supposed to be a diagnosis and um, the idea is you're looking at somebody who's not in pain or as you said asymptomatic so yeah when we're looking at someone who's not in pain who just wants to come in and know whether they're likely to get injured in the future uh, they're the tests you just described, are they? Where you're looking at how they deal with load, reaction time, things like that, yeah? Yeah, essentially, yeah. at the, uh, an extent, the movement qualities, if you like, and then also looking at their potential capacity to deal with load, essentially. Um, so it's obviously not where it stops. I mean, there's a lot of other conversation that goes on there um, in the subjective aspect of it. You know, so getting um, a good idea of kind of what their training is, uh, so how often they're running. Um, so looking at obviously that frequency, what intensity they do run at, uh, what distances they're doing, um, and that recoverability got between everything as well. Uh, no matter what they're doing, if they're not recovering effectively from it, that that's an issue. Okay, so that's interesting as well. So. Really, because when we think of screening, we kind of think of a physical assessment. Mm. But you're suggesting that part of the screening is, um, or, yeah, is is a kind of a biopsychosocial assessment as well, seeing what their yeah. personality is yeah. like, seeing how they deal with the idea of being injured, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge. I mean, there's a lot of obviously research out there on, uh, you know, even like sleep affecting uh, injury rates as well. Um, so it was, uh, they worked at like between seven to nine hours um, in an ideal world for the recreational runners um, to kind of decrease injury risk. Um, and then the elite athletes that potentially need a little more to, might even be kind of nine to 10 hours. Um, I think they saw, so with the recreational runners, like uh, if they were uh, sleep deprived, that it was like one times seven times the amount of injury rate. So it's huge. So it's, yeah. not, it's absolutely massive, yeah. 
It's, I mean, ironically, there's probably more quality research out there for the kind of psychosocial assessment of looking at um, recovery of sleep patterns than there is for a lot of the physical assessments and the ways of moving linked with injury. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, as always, talking to you, it feels like, like, yeah, this is what all therapists do. All therapists are just as interested in recovery rates as they are in whether that person has sufficient dorsiflexion in their ankle or something. But I think the reality is, and you probably hear it as well from people who come to you, that, that a lot of therapists out there, probably because they're still being taught it, are just jumping to the physical assessment. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly something... I mean, it was, don't get me wrong, it was definitely touched upon in... in you know, in in the degree and everything, but it's not necessarily something that you came out thinking, okay, I really get this background and, you know, think about all this stuff that's going to affect that person. Um, there was a good amount of it, um, but not necessarily apply it with people. I think that was maybe where it was a little bit more lacking. Uh, we try and definitely when we're educating the people that we work with, uh, trying to get that across to them and kind of think, let them know that it's okay, you know, to back their intensity down on certain runs, um, you know, to play around with their mileage, um, depending on how they're recovering, um, and always getting that feedback from people, which is the massive, um, which I think sometimes is the hardest to get, is that kind of constant feedback from people, whereas most when you're working with asymptomatic people, you tend to do get a lot more feedback and you might see them more frequently as well, potentially. Um, so I think it kind of makes it almost easier in a way, getting constant feedback and being able to go, okay, cool, so we've got more information, now we can look at this, so this week focus on, you know, this, let's uh, pull you back on this run, let's put it on there, if you know you're going out the night before, then we run after, you know, it's all things that are going to affect him, basically. Yeah, I mean that's essentially I think where part of the problem with screening is because what you've what you've been talking about is very reactive. It all depends on what the person does as to where your next step takes you, which is why it's so difficult to advertise what you do because you don't know what you're going to do until the athlete in front of you reacts in a certain way or says a certain thing or even just their body language tells you a certain thing. So yeah. the idea you can have a formula, steps one to seven, which is going to then predict injuries is, yeah, it's got problems from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. so you've never you've never done I mean I haven't either but like functional movement screen is probably one of the most famous screening things um, have you ever worked with anybody because you work with Mike Rice yeah yeah is he big into screening at all um, has I he been just little, little bits and bats um, I don't it's, again it's kind of taken as as I'm kind of saying it as well I guess kind of taking that subjective into, into account as well um, I think he'll use maybe like little elements of it um yeah not not necessarily going through like a set screen and this is you know you need to do this with people before you can advise them um it's more so yeah just taking out bits again thinking right okay let's do analysis in front of us um what potentially are you going to look at and doing it in that yeah, which is why probably you guys, you know, work so well together and you and you teach for him. He's not going to have someone teaching for him who preaches from a totally different book, isn't he? And also up there, you've got um, Rosie Sexton as well, who's another osteopath. And you've you've crossed paths with her a couple of times? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So I can Rosie based down towards Birmingham. Um, and then I, I travel down to do a bit of teaching uh, for Mike. And then we're just setting up the courses actually up at the new place 
So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And Rosie, again, is a fantastic one. We had her on the uh, on Mind Chat Live back in episode eight, I think. And she's a great example of a, um, a progressive osteopath as well, you know, who, um, like you say, takes bits out here, evolves massively. Um, yeah. So it's um, that's all good. Um, it sounds like Mike Grice has managed to surround himself with some pretty cool people. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, he's obviously called himself as well. He's got, yeah, he's got a good little system going down there. Cool. Um, one of the things also about screening that I find is problematic. I wonder whether you have had the experience of it as well. Mm. It's one of the other barriers to screening is a lot of the time, and we know it as therapists. If we really critique ourselves, you do a test on somebody. Let's imagine they've been in here for five minutes. And then you get them to do it again and they do something totally different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and although, yeah, so that's the first point. Um, so it's all, if, if something is a screen, if something's that accurate, you can call it a screen. Then the idea is as soon as you do the test on that particular person, then if they do it again, you're going to notice it. And the same thing's going to happen again. Yeah. And if it doesn't, yeah. then it's not valid. No. Yeah, it's not. Um, and I think yeah. hand on heart, a lot of the tests we do in clinic, as therapists, the more you kind of live and work, you realize you almost have to gloss over. You do like a Craig test or something. It's like, oh, wow, this is kind of retroversion. And then you just go back and check. Oh, no, it's antiversion. I'll go back and check. Oh, it's right in the middle. Let's not bother about that. Let's not record that down. Let's get something else, you know, and you can't help it, you know, because that, that natural <laughs> very choice, huh? I'm just going to quickly stop you. Sorry. Because uh, we've had to move on to my phone. My battery's going a little bit. So I'm just going to. Okay. Hi, I was like, all right. Yeah, you go for it. Just so I don't cut out on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm two seconds. Okay, that's all right. So, yeah, while he's readjusting, I mean, tricks of the trade, really, for people who are listening. Um, yeah, a lot of the tests we do in clinic, we know hand and heart that they're not 100% always accurate because the amount of people who, who are in pain and yet that test doesn't actually correlate with it, and we just have to kind of ignore it. Um, but being a, a kind of a more evidence-based driven clinician, you shouldn't ignore it. If you're going to successfully critique, critique yourselves, then you really do have to notice the times when things don't work more than the times when things do work. Um, and that happens all the time in clinic. Um, the reasons why the clinicians feel that something works so well, like, I don't know, acupuncture or trigger points, um, or even a one leg longer than the other on this person. Every time that that particular treatment or test is successful, as in it confirms what we believe should happen, then we note it and we're amazed with it. And and and, and the client walks out happy and we think that we've cured their problem because we did that particular test or that um, protocol, that treatment. But if we really wrote down, every therapist should have a little pad. Are you back? I am. I was just saying that, you know, a, a true therapist who wants to progress and do their own little personal research should keep a little notepad of when the things they think should work don't actually work. Yeah. They make a note of it because they're the ones you really learn from. The ones which work, you know, just confirm your kind of biases. Um, you know, I, I try and get when I do courses and that I get, you know, um, therapist to keep that keep a book of when things don't work and then analyze it look at it over the course of a week or a month because it helps get rid of those confirmation biases and especially when you're doing gait analysis as well because there's something there's some great correlation and research of where 
static tests like um, the Thomas test, for example. I mean, it's a staple diet of any mm -hmm. course. And, and the research has shown that just because someone lies on the couch and maybe their leg doesn't drop down, you see them on a treadmill straight after and the hip, ex hip is extending fine. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. should really get written in the book because uh, yeah. I always presume the tests are going to correlate. But, um, yeah, so anyway, you're back. You're sorted now. Yeah, yeah, no. Even off the back of what you're saying, um, the, you know, I get a lot of people kind of coming in saying, like, you know, this is tight, this is tight, you know, this doesn't move and things like that. And a lot of the time, okay, it's a sensory thing as well. So, you know, it can feel very restricted and feel very tight, but then when you're watching them move, you're like, nah. You're absolutely fine there. It's just more of a sensory thing going on, really. Um, so they can feel something. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to see X, Y, Z, you know, just thinking about the Thomas test, you know, and kind of obviously hip flexors and that side of And how do you deal with, because it's interesting what you said, where, I mean, you said to me, I don't know whether you use that kind of blase. It's just a sensory thing. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Sometimes I find, you know, with a lot of um, athletes or patients, um, as soon as you suggest that it's just a sensory thing, <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it? Because the old, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you yeah. telling me? What are they hearing when you say that? Yeah, well, that's it. I think I, it's not necessarily the words that I'd use with them, um, but it's definitely a, a talking point for education for them. Of kind of saying, okay, well, you know, it's not it's not necessarily a restriction. You see how you know you can sense that you're feeling tight through there. However, it might be even that a video of them doing a certain movement so they can watch it back. But, okay, so, you know, you're going to move like this. Do you see how if you were to move like this, for instance, I've got a guy who's always on about, you know, classic type hamstrings. Uh, so he's like, okay, my hamstrings are mega tight. Uh, therefore, you know, I need to absolutely like stretch them as much as possible, um, which is a whole another debate as well, isn't it? Um, but he can literally, he can go hands totally flat on the floor, straight legs, you know, no issues whatsoever. However, he puts any little niggle that he gets down to tight hamstrings. Mm. So it's definitely it's something where it, um, it's helped, you know, doing things like that, doing the testing and being like, okay, so you see if, if this one, then you'd expect this to happen sometime. Good. Yeah, so actually, whereas using tests to show someone's weaknesses, mm -hmm. this is huge. You should patent this before anyone else does it. You <laughs> should, you, okay, so what are your initials? CK, isn't it? Or maybe the Movement Hub. So it's the TMH screening, where <laughs> actually you show people how they are capable and, and they haven't got restrictions and they have got strength to make yeah. them feel better for themselves. That's a great one. It's totally like, uh, you know, like Greg Lehman, for instance, like he's like the, uh, what does he call himself, the optimist. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah and it, what, a, what a great way of putting things, really, isn't it? It's that kind of focusing on the positive aspect of things and kind of empowering people instead of looking for, you know, what, what they might class as, you know, like dysfunctions and that side of things. And you don't want people coming in. Like going out, like feeling absolutely rubbish about themselves because you've just told them that they need to do this, 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 this because they've got all this stuff. With them. It's not nice, is it? Um, so yeah, it's very true. And sadly, it does kind of happen, not just in our profession, but I mean, I, this morning I've seen a couple of people in clinic, and both of them had, um, one of them bought um, results of. They always bring their MRI scans in, like I'm 
seriously going to look at them that much. But and 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 each of them, their biggest worry, they both they both had scans. One was an X-ray, one was an MRI, and both of them came in with that nervousness simply because they'd been advised. I mean, sometimes it is necessary to get the scan done, but they both carry that kind of nocebo effect of because they've been advised to get a scan, they were worried that something yeah. really structurally wrong had happened. And in this case, I mean, there might be something which scan shows up. But in this case, one of them was like a 70 year old lady whose scan is bound to show up. Yeah. Something yeah. which could be interpreted as fragile. And it had on written down on it. And, and it was like it, it mentioned um, bulging discs and, and degeneration. And, mm-hmm. and again, I mean, that made her feel she was really worried that something, you know, rather than worrying about not moving enough anymore, not doing any form of strength work, not practicing coordination or balance or agility at all. Mm-hmm. So I mean, all of these things which are explaining why the person has the symptoms. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's the tricky thing, isn't it, about screening? It's 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 straight yeah. away yeah. leaving the person feeling vulnerable. Yeah, it's yeah. and the research comes in as well, isn't it? Like you said, we know that that can have a nocebic effect and actually make amplify pain. I mean, it's one, especially when you consider um, kind of even anxious people, you know, people that might struggle with depression, anxiety, like we know that they're, they're generally going to be sensitized a lot more things as well. So then if we come in there with a load of like uh, nocebo and kind of reinforce everything they don't want to hear, then yeah, what state are they going to be left in? And I think that's sometimes where screening <laughs> uh, where, where the assessment process of it can sometimes go so it can make them feel actually a little bit more anxious about things and if we're going in and saying this dysfunction we need to improve functionality here and here and here they kind of go out and okay should I even be running or am I just going to injure myself or and it's not where we want it to go it wants to be a really positive experience and just kind of them some tools that can help them to move forward mm. yeah definitely uh, it's very true um and again i'm quite cynical but i haven't done a training course for a while um but i'm still under the impression that there's not enough cpd out there which kind of practices and helps people helps younger therapists um, do what we're talking about it's all still very the latest manual therapy technique the latest screening the latest kind of structural thing whereas a lot of cpd should be about the latest way to get the point across that although we're saying pain is an output from the brain that doesn't mean you're making it up i mean that in itself could be a cpd course for a day just getting um, explanations like that along and there's a gap in the market i'm too old and tired to try even try and fill it but um there's a few. I know like Ben Cormack, I always shout out with this. He's very good. Yeah. And he's a very yeah. approachable guy. Hasn't got a northern accent. He's got a London accent. But it's still um, strange sounding enough to, to, to kind of make that yeah affection towards him. <laughs> but have you ever done any of Ben's courses? Uh, yeah, I think Ben's a bit sick of seeing me, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I've done a> <laughs> uh, he, he got stuck in a... Um, Purely by chance, um, so we it was nice. You got to have a bit of a chat in the bar afterwards and stuff, um, and that was at Mike's Mike Rice's place. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've uh, <laughs> I really like. So you got you got stuck in a lift with him? No, in a um, in a hotel bath. In a hotel bath. <
But yeah. he was staying. I wasn't stuck in it. He was staying in the same hotel. Because <laughs> yeah, we know we've seen photos on the internet of him and um, Mr. Meekins kind of sharing a jacuzzi. So I wonder whether this water fetish thing. So you oh. were stuck in a bath with him. Yeah, well, and then have you seen? So Adam's Adam Meekins has now shaved all of his hair off, and he I saw he that. Like ben. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's very. Yeah. They're definitely like they're married. They're half the time they're defriending each other, and then half the time they're making up again, and they call each other Boo Boo and Moo Moo. Yeah, yeah it's all there's enough uh, interesting, yeah, <laughs> those alone. Um, but yeah, so Ben's, uh, well, Adam's courses as well, obviously, are very much focused on the um, psychosocial part of the bio, not losing all the bio, but remembering there is a, a psychosocial part in the word as well. Uh, but there's still a gap, I think. I mean, I had a friend recently, actually, about Alex Backhouse, who was on. Um, the podcast as well he did a master's in strength and conditioning and he was saying that in the master's there was loads of talk about um psychosocial aspects and the whole um, placebo placebo and all that um but unfortunately it, you know they're waiting until master's level where really this should be going out you know right first thing today we'll talk about on any you know manual therapy is this uh, but it hasn't quite hit home yet cool always to I guess, like, rewrite uh, a program for something, um, like a, a university degree. Uh, I, I would, obviously, but, like, it's, I think it's something where the very start of it would purely just be, like, communication um, and just working with people because um, it's massive and it's totally, like, we just forget about human beings that we're working with, living, adapting organisms. It's uh, definitely something where... Um, everything's focused on, you know, the kind of pathological side of things. You know, we need to look out for this and do this. Um, and it's certainly great in terms of safety, don't get me wrong, but it's um, it's not necessarily something that makes a great mission in my eyes if they're not communicating with people. Yeah, no, that's a very valid point. Um, I think it was, I can't remember, have you ever seen... Um... No Pain Mike, I can't remember his surname, he's gone from my head now, Mike Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Um, he started off, you know, quite full credit to him. He started off quite a few years from a lot of the other people. Um, just saying, like, as um, therapists, how many, of our, how many of us have actually studied teaching before, you know, or educating, because it's a totally different ballgame. You know, what you learn in a therapy course you know, has nothing to do with teaching or um and it's and it's still very true i don't think there's many elements of how to teach or how to work with different styles of learning and that sort of stuff and how to deal with you know different um uh, people in, in you know it's it's something that's still not addressed so yeah. Yeah. right sorry even on the teaching moment you know it's all going to kind of learn the lead as well and teaching to the person in front of you and like you were talking about you know different teaching styles and how how they can take that information on. And it's a similar thing, really, isn't it, essentially? Oh, definitely. I remember my first teaching experience was probably, well, many, 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 quite a few decades ago, and it was just TEFL, teaching as English as a foreign language. Okay, yeah. That was you learned so much about not translating, just getting the person, uh, the student, you know, eliciting a response, which is kind of what we try and do in clinic as well. You don't just say, this is what's wrong with this and that. You let them come out. You don't just tell them, you can't do this because of that. You let them, and the penny drop. Yeah. You know, like you said with the hamstring thing, my favourite thing is always, well, not always, depends on the person, but maybe getting them to touch their toes or pick up a dumbbell. And eventually I made them do it maybe 26 times. 
yeah. and then from the floor they go i haven't got tight hamstrings have i and yeah. I'm like, ah, that's a good response you know because then they realize that it's just that that cognitive change uh, yeah. opens the yeah. doors to a whole new understanding rather than just telling them and you know giving them a lecture so yeah it's um if there is anybody out there who is giving um courses on uh making therapists better teachers then yeah get in get in touch with me because i'd love to have you on the show um the other thing i want to touch on as well we kind of moved on it but i've got it on my notes here was um the problem that's the other thing about screening is the problem in defining what's normal yes uh, we've kind of touched on it but the research is quite big um on on there is very little norms isn't there in, mm. in the way things the way we move and the responses we have to move with regards to pain and injury um uh, is there any particular norms that you've either learnt um, in your courses or through personal experience, which you now know aren't necessarily norms or things which, you know, happens in other clinics, which are which are regarded as norms, but aren't? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess part of it, well, the most classic one I can think of is probably the kind of uh, overpronation, if you like, um, you know, kind of being like, okay, so we, we need to draw a line down the, uh, the calcaneus and if it goes past this line, then we're overpronating. If it doesn't, then we're all good. Um, yeah, it's probably the most classic one in terms of like we don't actually know what normal is for people. You know, uh, some people might be a bit more like inverted, so with the heel kind of dropping inwards slightly, um, or slightly, slightly inverted as well. Um, I think definitely. It's kind of when you first get into that side of things, it's very much like, okay, we need to like avoid pronation no matter what happens. Uh, we need to basically just put like a big brick in your shoe just to stop you dropping into pronation because that's going to set you up, you know, for like medial tibial stress syndrome and uh, kind of issues and that side of things. And yeah, I mean, it's just, again, when you look at the evidence behind it, there's, there's not that much there. Um, there's definitely a bit of an argument. Uh, for certain things, but not much evidence that's kind of going across the board. Um, yeah. That's a very good example, actually. I hadn't thought of that myself. I was thinking more of kind of like various rotations of the hip. and But yeah, the, the pronation is, is a method of screening which was used for years by the running shops, which we now know wasn't screening at all. It was like diagnosing and, and offering these solutions to something that wasn't even there. So uh, no, that's a perfect example. Um, and if that method of screening was so wrong, then yeah, it does open the door to other th typical things we do. Yeah, sorry, I stopped you. What else? What else are the four I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of even, um, you know, how how the hips are, and like, you know, even when you come down to like gait analysis and kind of looking at, you know, crossover patterns, for instance, and that side of things, it's kind of getting a good idea of like how, the, even like the morphology of that person. You know, if their uh, if their pelvis is uh, more antiverted or extroverted, for instance, um, it's going to make a difference. Um, it, it's some things are going to cross over into movement. Uh, some things they're going to be able to, you know, kind of change and adapt for. Um, but essentially, again, I think it comes back to kind of the the body's kind of trained like that through life anyway. So if someone's got if someone's say got an antiverted pelvis and they've it's obviously been like that since birth then they're going to be pretty damn good at moving that way. So if we try... And People are listening who don't speak your osteopathic language. What are you meaning by anterior so, pelvis? Uh, basically just like changes in, uh, like in the hip socket, essentially. So it's 
so that how the how the hip moves in in the hip socket. Um, so antiverses usually you'd see uh, that people have loads of um, like in, internal rotation where internal legs, for instance, and retroverted as an example might be the opposite. So that they've got loads of external rotation when they come right out, um, but they might have like barely any internal rotation. Um, so it might be as if we were going in kind of older style training in terms of clinician side of things, it might be, okay, well, this is, you know, this needs correcting. We need to make sure that you've got this amount of degrees in your hip going this way and this amount of degrees this way. And it's just not the case. Um, That's a big one, isn't it? Because a lot of, a lot of women, for example, believe that their issues are because of internally rotating knees when they do squats or single leg balance and stuff. But yeah, you're highlighting the fact that depending on the structure, the way their 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 thigh bone enters the hip socket, it may be that they we expect them to actually turn their knees in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think even when we have uh, certain things where we'd be like, okay, this might make it a bigger factor for uh, one certain sort of condition, if you like. It's sometimes we need to. Con- like they can actually positively adapt to that movement. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that they've even changed their strategy. It might be a reason, um, you know, watching the way it moves. We know that we can kind of shift forces a little bit by changing the movements. Uh, classic example, look at uh, step rate in runners. Um, so looking at the cadence, uh, we can uh, increase their step rate. We might shift a little bit more down into kind of the foot, ankle, leg, um, and then vice versa. You know, if we're looking to shift loads a little bit further up towards the pelvis and lower back to offload, I guess, well, not offload, but relatively, the uh, the lower leg, then we might want to kind of slow that down a little bit too. So okay. the person in front of you again, isn't it, really? So now we're kind of encouraging people and athletes to realize that often it's not the way they move it's just the way their body's dealing with the forces um, caused by that movement and that's something we can play around with as well so I think it's important to finish up on and listening back sometimes to my podcasts I worry sometimes that they just come across as this is rubbish this is rubbish this is a myth this is rubbish that's not true they're telling you lies and it kind of it doesn't show enough what we can do and why people should still like kind of pick up the phone and come and see us Um, and you've just highlighted it you know, very much so that we can look at the way they move. And particularly if it's linked with pain, we can offload certain tissues, get them to move in a slightly different way to allow the activity to continue, like with cadence increases or decreases. And then they may go back to the way they normally moved before and the pain might go and not come back again. So it's um, still lots we can do. It's just not a case of looking at a book and going, oh, yeah, that's why you're hurting. Of course it is. Uh, That's old school. Uh, very interesting. A, a big version of that in terms of the you know like glute, glute media strength uh, and like crossover gait again and that side of things like where we can actually work on you know working building strength in that kind of into those muscles essentially uh, but then see no change in the actual way that the person's moving as well can't we so but we can still yeah, yeah no very interesting research come out of that yeah and that surprises a lot of and I can understand why that surprises people. And we see that a lot here in clinic. I mean, everybody we see, regardless of what injury they had, has probably been given some clams or kind of a leg abduction to do. It seems to be a very handed out exercise. But 
very few of them have actually been given exercises or drills to actually use that new strength, you know, to change, like I say, to change the blueprints that the brain and nervous system has got. Um, so, yeah, again, that's something else which in hubs like yours we promote, hence the name uh, Movement Hub. Did you yeah. come up with that name? Uh, yeah, between us, yeah, we kind of, um, so Kim's old business was Absolute Movement and mine was Movement Concept. Oh, yeah, and, right. And we brought it together to make a hub. That's very good. <laughs> it's a good. Uh, it's a good name to get now, especially because it's like I say, people like yourself, and that's why I wanted you on the show. I do believe hand and heart that, um, yeah, your type of operation is a thing of the future, and uh, we will see kind of these hubs more and more around the country where it's not just this is what I do. I'm just an osteopath. I'm just a physio. I'm just a chiropractor, uh, because the general public, hopefully through podcasts like this, will realise that it's more of a jigsaw than that. Okay, it's very rarely yeah. just your bones, just your muscles, and just do this exercise or just don't do that. You know, it's not. It's and we can't tell what it is until you actually come along and we give you a whole battery of different tests rather than just one screening. Yeah. Wicked. Okay, well that's great, um, Chris. Um, you've already told us you're training so triathlons. You say what distance did you say you're doing? Uh, Which one? I missed that word. Uh, just standard distance. So Olympic one, is it, or a sprint mini one? Yeah, Olympic, yeah. Okay, then. And did you, am I right in thinking that now the kids are getting older, you're going to try and bring that up to the next level or maybe a little half Ironman or something? Or? Uh, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, I'm recording this. So if you want to. It totally depends whether my wife's watching or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go on the phone. Yeah, I think, I think in terms of my running even, yeah. I've considered moving up towards, like, I did a bit of a 10-miler um, in January. Uh, that's a trail race. That's a bit different. Um, and then, yeah, considering moving up to maybe do, like, a half marathon, like, later on this year. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to, uh, yeah, get that half man in there. I think it's in there. Um, it just needs to be, yeah, training schedule needs sorting a little bit um, in terms of just getting it in, that's all. Um, but, yeah, it'd be nice to. It would be. Because then you got the half man, you got the full iron man, and then you got the Mike James back to back iron man. Oh which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which obviously, by shaving his beard off, he'll be doing again. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing that back to back. That's all it takes. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, aerodynamic great off, and that he's, he's a winner. <laughs> yeah, no, my kids are three and a half and one and a half, so I'm I'm getting to that stage now where I should be able to play around and um, and not feel so guilty about leaving someone else to look after them, be able to get out myself. It is so difficult with time. It really is. Um, and you can only push a kid in a buggy for so long. They just, you are, mainly because they're screaming and fighting. You know, people look <laughs> at the seafront going, really? You, are you really a loving father? Look at them tearing each other apart. I can do that for about an hour, but any more than that. And it's just, I think it's yeah. child. Yeah. It's not fair. So, yeah. Well, we'll be able to, we'll be able to compare notes then and see if we do manage to, uh, get out more and do a bit more exercise uh -huh. that'd be good um in terms of tutoring and stuff coming up at the movement hub have you got anything coming up courses or anything uh, yeah uh we're looking at so the, the, we've got a, a couple coming up really. uh we've got one uh we're going to be running a, a biomechanics trainer course um so that's under biomechanics education so that's going to be uh, a little bit that's kind of like late april early may just confirming dates and where will that be what part of the country uh, that's that as well. So that's, uh, that's that place. 
And then um, we're also bringing Mike Rice's um, course as well. So it's uh, live in uh, like remedial exercise and therapy. Uh, so that's moving up to Leeds as well, as well as continuing in Birmingham. Uh, so that's going to, we're looking at launching that about uh, late September, early October in Leeds. Um, so yeah, exciting stuff. Looking forward right. to it. People can find out about all of this on, uh, is it the Movement Hub or just Movement Hub? Yeah, so it's the Movement Hub. Okay. Um, so we're just getting the website, I say, redesigned at the moment. So we're going to be whacking everything up on there. Um, we've also got, obviously, in terms of social media as well. Uh, so the Movement Hub on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and on Instagram as well, and YouTube, obviously. Um, so yeah, we'll be uh, getting everything out there and ready to go. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure that your um, social media outlets get put into the um, comments below. I'll type them up. And hopefully people will have had a chance to listen to you on this and contact you that way as well. Absolutely. Great stuff. The sound wasn't too bad in the end. It's only a little bit of um, a few words missing. But, yeah, um, hopefully uh, I think it was enough for people to understand. So thank you for your perseverance. Um, And, uh, yeah, we'll keep in contact. I'm going to whisk you away now and just say goodbye to everyone else. So, uh, Mr. Chris Kitson, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'll speak to you a bit. Cheers. All right, then, people. Uh, yeah, sorry again for uh, uh, a bit of uh, Freddie Star on the mic. Kind of, uh, it's uh, yeah, made it difficult. But uh, we did try sorting out his laptop, but I just didn't want to know. So uh, my apologies for that. Uh, but hopefully you got enough out of that to understand a little bit more about screening and to hopefully be wary about therapists who are just working out of a book and saying, oh, because you do that, this is the cause of that. Um, if they're not mentioning your training, your um, other other uh, things like um, what your belief systems are with regards to what you think you've done to yourself, um, if they're not looking at a bigger picture, um, it's particularly of your case history, um, then it's they're missing vital parts of the jigsaw. OK, um, humans, although we share the same passion for running um, and the desire to get our shoes on and go out that door, um, we are actually all. We've got significant differences, both physically and obviously mentally, um, depending on what we've done with our lives and genetically as well. Um, so for the modern day evidence based therapists to help you, they need to pry into all of these areas, uh, which is why the case history is so important. Um, screening probably shouldn't be called screening because it's not that accurate. It's not that sensitive. Um, we should really just call them tests um, and they can provide useful information. For modern day therapists um, and gait and analysts and osteopaths and chiropractors, we need to realise that they are just part of the jigsaw um, and we mustn't uh, uh, think that they are accurate diagnoses or any sort, any form. Um, so there we go. That was episode 19. Um, thanks again to Chris Kitson uh, from the Movement Hub. Um, we will be back. Um, who have we got next? We're definitely having Lisa Shabbos coming up again. Um, we've got some exciting guests coming up. Um, um, I don't like giving away now. You'll have to keep in contact with our social media outlets uh, to see who we have got. But I can guarantee we've got at least five or six people signed up to talk to you on a Sunday at 1.30 p.m. Um, so, yeah, keep in touch. Contact us if you'd like to see any particular guests. Uh, Matt at runchatlive.com. The website is up and running and proving very successful. So uh, runchatlive.com is there. Um, so that's it. It's we've run over. It's 2.36. So I will thank you once again for listening or joining us live on Facebook. 
and uh, see you in either a week or a couple of weeks. Take care. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.